lots of things at a safe distance. I don't really want to deal with that. I don't want to be involved in that. And Jesus, because of the love that God has, which is extraordinary, is like, actually, no, I'll completely identify with that. So much so that I will take the punishment for it on my own body and redeem it. So now I've been challenged with this invitation to love more incarnationally. God's love isn't just a warm, fluffy feeling or a nice sentiment. No, to God, it's much more than that. Love is also a verb. Today, Pastor Daniel reminds you that love brought Jesus down to earth on a rescue mission. He laid down his life because he loved us too much to let us stay in our brokenness, separated from him. Jesus willingly waded into our messes, and he's asking you to do that too so that you can be a conduit of God's love to others. Now here's Pastor Daniel in 1 John chapter 4 as he continues his message called Love. And then you have the Greek word agape, which is the word that is used all through this passage. And that word literally means a self-sacrificial and a self-giving love. A love that is not there to receive, but a love that is willing to diminish itself for the building up or the blessing of another. And when it says that God is love... John grounds all ideas about love in the self-giving love of God. And the thing is, is the world doesn't need more human, situational, self-centered love. What the world needs is the self-giving love of God that has now been impacting the human heart that now gets lived out into the world. I always like to say, like, it's great that John knew that all you need is love, but he could have kept the Beatles together for 10 more years. But so for so many of us, we're so busy thinking about our own ideas about love that we are not allowing the love of God to change us. And of course, this idea that God is love, John says it a little bit later in John chapter four, in 1 John chapter four, listen to what it says in verse 15 and 16. It says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God... God abides in him and he in God and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Now I think this is really important because what John is saying a little bit later in this chapter is that if somebody confesses that Jesus is the son of God, if someone says, I believe in Jesus, Jesus is the son of God, then God abides in that person. God takes up residence in that person and that person, he and God, that person takes up residence in the life of God And it says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us because God is love. So this idea of knowing the love of God, it speaks of an intimate experiential knowledge. And this is what God wants for humanity. Not for us just to have this concept of love, but to have an intimate experiential 
knowledge of the love of God because now we, God dwells in us and we get to dwell in the life of God. And all of this is because God is a loving God. See, somebody who loves only desires the object of that affection to experience that love. Look, I think about Christmas morning, right? Kids like presents. I mean, everyone likes presents, but we all know that a present is hollow if it's not rooted in love for that person, right? It's like if somebody loves you, like they can give you anything, but because they love you, they want to share that affection with you. And God who created and sustained everything and everyone desires for all of us to experience his love. And all of a Christian's ability to walk in love is rooted not in our own desires to be loving people, but it's rooted in the personality of God. When was the last time you sat back into the reality rested in the reality, found comfort in the reality that God who is loving by nature loves you. And when was the last time you let God's love for you now drive the way that you treat other people in the world? Because our culture very much lives in what psychologists calls the law of reciprocal affection. You learn deep stuff here at Crossroads. The idea is, is that people give love when they receive love, right? So it's got reciprocity. I give you love. I give you what I want, which is love. And then you give it back to me. And then I give it back to you, right? It's kind of like you go into a coffee shop. You have a law of reciprocal affection. Here's my, depending on what coffee shop you go in, $87, you know, here's my $87, and they're like, here, okay, you give me $87, and I'm going to give you this latte, and it's got a little flower on it, and it's all super cool. Sometimes it's a deformed flower, but we like flowers either way, and, 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 it, and it's reciprocal. But if you go and say, hey, can I get my coffee, and you don't give them any money, they give you the coffee. No, unless the person before you is super, if they're a Christian, they bought you the coffee. That's cool of them, too. But it's reciprocal. In the same way, all of our relationships run this way. I love you. And then you love me back. But if you stop loving me in the way that I want you to love me, then I stop loving you back. And that's how relationships begin and end. It begins with a reciprocal uh, flow of love. And then at some point, someone stops returning that love. And then you say, well, like the soup Nazi. You guys remember soup Nazi from Seinfeld? No soup for you. No love for you anymore. Right? And that's how it works. But the thing is, is in a world where humans function on the law of reciprocal affection... God's like, yeah, I'm actually going to completely subvert that whole process because you loving other people is not going to be dependent on them returning the love that you want. I'm going to give you an endless flow of love because I am loving by nature so that you can proactively love other people. Isn't that powerful? And in a lot of ways, that's what makes Christianity so different because in every religion, there is ethics that are associated with it. But God's saying, listen, it's not you give me what I want from you and I'll give it back to you. It's like God's like, I'm gonna give you a continual overflow of my love and then I want you to go live into the world overflowing with my love no matter what somebody does. 
not based on their performance, not based on their ability or inability to give us what we want. God's like, I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna love through you. Because look what it says. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. So, so love has its origin in God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So you know when someone's been born again by God and knows God because they choose to walk in the very love that God has for us. And then in order to close the loop, the Spirit of God inspires John to write in verse eight, and he who does not love does not know God for God is love. So here's the deal. The world should know Christians by the fact that we love people. And here's the deal. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, I realize not everyone here is. If you're not, we want you to believe in Jesus. We want you to follow Jesus. We encourage you to follow Jesus, but we realize everyone's on a different step of their faith journey. But if you're here today and you're like, I'm a Christian, then people should know you're a Christian not by how well you know your Bible, although that's a good thing, not by how much time you spend in church. That's a good thing too. People will know you're a follower of Jesus because you love self-sacrificially. And one of the things that's the most heartbreaking about the day and age in which we live is people do not believe that Christians are loving. Not only because we don't agree with them, but also because a lot of Christians are not loving. A lot of us are not loving people. We love who we like, not the people that God loves, which is everybody. And I think that God wants to do a work in us because of that. If you don't love, you don't know God because God is loving. Now, I realize it's provocative, but as we continue on, you're gonna see we start where we are and then God brings us to where we've never been before because look what happens. Verse nine, 1 John chapter four. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Really what we learn here is that Christmas is God's love manifested. Christmas is God's love being brought out into the open. Because you see what John says here? You're talking about love, all right? God is love. And because God is loving at, at the essence of who he is, he's like, this is love. That God manifested his love toward us and that he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. See that? God proves his love by sending Jesus into the world, which speaks, of course, of the incarnation, which is what Christmas is all about. The word taking on flesh and dwelling among us. And then, of course, in verse 10, he said, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, really what this means is that John realizes that God's love in sending Jesus, the babe in the manger, the ultimate plan that God had for sending Jesus was, of course, Jesus' death on the cross. The, the culmination of the purpose of the life of Jesus is death and resurrection. And that's why Jesus himself said in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, I think this is really, really powerful because Jesus is saying God loved the world 
all of his creation so much he sent his son that who would ever believe in his son would not perish but have everlasting life. And then he makes an important point. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. So Jesus didn't come to condemn. Jesus came to save. Now, if we were to continue on in John chapter three, we, what we learn is that Jesus didn't have to come and condemn the world because he said the world was, is condemned already. So actually, the message of the gospel is not that you're condemned if you do not believe in Jesus. Everybody already knows that. Just watch the news. You see how condemned our world is. Watch a movie. Like every, in the heart of every person, you realize everything is all jacked up. Isn't that the truth? Like you don't need anyone to tell you. You just walk outside. You're like, man, this is all jacked up. This, is not, this cannot be the best that we have going for us. So the message of the gospel is that God's love led God to act in a loving way by sending Jesus into the world. Now, doesn't that change the way we think about Christmas? Now, I'll be honest. I've been a pastor for over 20 years. And this year, I asked God to help me to have a fresh understanding of what the incarnation and Christmas is all about. And I did that because about eight years into being a pastor who preached every Christmas, I started feeling like, what else am I going to say about Christmas? Like, like, there's only so many texts about Christmas. Like, what else are you going to say about Christmas? And so every year when it comes to Christmas time, pastors get a little freaked out because you're like, well, well people have been around. Like, I mean, there are folks, some of you, you've been here at Crossroads for like, 45 years. And so you heard Pastor Bill do really good Christmas messages for like 35 years. And then you're stuck with me for the last 10 years. And it's like, what else am I going to say about Christmas? And there's a part of us that even if you're not a pastor, there's a part of us as Christians that you can mail in Christmas because you're so used to it. Right? It's like, it's Christmas. Jesus was born. Yep. I've been following Jesus for 20 years. I've been following Jesus for 10 years. So I really said, Lord, will you Give me a fresh revelation of the incarnation. Now, I want to encourage you. Anytime you pray, God, will you give me a fresh revelation or insight into anything biblical? Hold on to your hats. It's a great prayer. Because God's like, oh, you want, you want more? I'll give you more. And so about 10 days ago, I felt the Lord kind of speak to me in a really powerful, personal way. Because I was praying about a situation that I was not enjoying. That I, I was just like, this is kind of messed up and I don't really like this. And I was kind of complaining to the Lord about a situation. I know none of you have ever done that before, right? So I'm just kind of like lamenting this situation. And I felt like the Lord said to me, Daniel, I am comfortable completely identifying myself with that situation. And I kind of stopped. And I'm like, yeah, but Lord... You see, I did the but Lord, the but God thing, right? Yeah, but disease. Yeah, but, you know, it's like, no, Daniel, I am comfortable completely identifying with that situation. And what I realized was that God was showing me something about the incarnation that I never thought about before. God in Jesus taking on human flesh chose to be comfortable completely identifying with fallen humanity. And then in my heart, I, I felt like, and then the cross is actually the capstone of that. Because if you think about Jesus on the cross, the apostle Paul said, 
For God made, he made him, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us. So on the cross, God was comfortable to completely identify with all of the sinfulness, brokenness, fallenness, and pain of humanity. Now, I I use the word comfortable, and the word comfortable can be kind of challenging because obviously Jesus sweat drops of blood. He wasn't exactly comfortable. But the idea of God was willing to embrace that. And what I realized in that moment is that in the situation that I was not enjoying and I was complaining about, I was not willing to identify with that situation. I was rejecting the situation. I was rejecting what was happening in the situation. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. But I felt like the Lord said, Daniel... The work of Christmas, the incarnation, is me being willing to be involved in things that I don't even agree with, with a purpose not of rejection, but of redemption. And that has been challenging my ideas about a lot of things lately, because so much of life, isn't it, it's us not being willing to intimately identify ourselves with situations. We want to keep lots of things at an arm's length, don't we? We want to keep lots of things at a safe distance. I don't really want to deal with that. I don't want to be involved in that. And Jesus, because of the love that God has, which is extraordinary, is like, actually, no, I'll completely identify with that. So much so that I will take the punishment for it on my own body and redeem it. So now I've been challenged with this invitation to love more incarnationally. And I say that being very, very aware that the implications of what I'm talking about are staggering. Let me ask you, what are you not willing to be identified with? Now, I'm not saying that Jesus didn't join it and and champion sinful. It's not what I'm talking about. But for many of us, when people live in ways that are not like Christ, we actually have no desire to to be involved in any way, to even build a relationship. How often do we push relationships away because of it? And Jesus is like, actually, I actually want to do a work of redemption in and through it. Now, that's what Christmas is really all about. God sending Jesus, we were not a welcoming environment for God to enter. I mean, think about it. What happened to Jesus? He got crucified. Talk about being sent into behind enemy lines. I mean, when Jesus was born, there was no room at the inn. There was no place for him to lay his head. Oh, and then, uh, and then Herod just started killing all the kids. I mean, think about that. Just like, you, you remember that, right? Because the, the wise men didn't come back and tell him where, where, where the Messiah was born. So Herod literally starts killing all the kids under the age of two. And Joseph flees to Egypt, which the last time the Jewish people were in Egypt, it did not go well for them. So everything about the life of Jesus, Jesus was born into a hostile environment from his birth. And then immediately once Jesus starts moving through Israel at that time, through the Sea of Galilee and through Jerusalem, immediately conflict is arising everywhere that he goes. He's healing somebody on the Sabbath and the Pharisees are mad and he's doing this and he's doing that and all this stuff is going on and people should be rejoicing, but people are angry. And Jesus, again, 
does not retreat from it, but Jesus presses in even more. So the message of Christmas is that God wants to put his love on display. And for you and I, he wants us to join in what he's doing. Because look at what it says. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I love that line, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. See that? Because really what you have is God is not waiting for our love, God is initiating. And really what God is inviting us to do is God is inviting us to initiate love like Jesus does. And that's really the message of Christmas is let's initiate love like Jesus did. Later on in 1 John, it says we love God because what? He first loved us. So although we were hostile territory, he came manifested the love of God into the world, and then we didn't love him first. He engages with us. And I love this because what God is really desiring for us is for us to join him in manifesting his love in a world that doesn't know his love. I mean, look what it says, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, remember I said earlier that God doesn't love us based on our performance? That's a powerful idea. Because listen to what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now you see that? While we were yet sinners. That's a powerful idea because really what it's saying is, is God initiated love towards people who were in rebellion against him. God knew that we would resist and rebel against his love, but ultimately for a certain number of people, there will be a turning that happens. Like God loved you before you responded to the gospel. God saw you, God saw me in all of my folly, in all of my rebellion, in all of my garbage and initiated, proactively, preemptively chose to love me where I was. And in the beginning, I was just angry about it. <sighs> Believe in God, what are we talking? This is crazy. But eventually bowed the knee. And God invites you and I to do the exact same thing. God wants us, the people of God, to be flow-throughs for his love into a broken world. And don't miss this. And I, and I jumped over this on purpose because I wanted to tie it in right here at the end. Notice in verse 9, it says, that we might live through him. Do you notice that? It's almost an aside. That, that God manifested his love toward us he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Jesus is real. We're so glad that you stayed with us today as Pastor Daniel wrapped up this message about the love that Jesus embodied and shared with people. You were reminded that while you were still against him, Jesus laid his life down for you. That's a powerful notion. He loved you so much that even though you were far from him, 
He gave everything to make it possible for you to be right with God and experience the full and rich life He has for you. Hey everybody, it's Pastor Daniel Fusco here, lead pastor at Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. For those of you who are out of the area and are unable to visit us in person, we would love for you to join us online for one of our Christmas Eve services at 1 p.m., 2.30 p.m., and 4 p.m. Pacific Time at live.crossroadschurch.net. I know our service will encourage you with heartfelt worship and a message from the Vulnerable God series to inspire you with hope and joy in this season. Again, our service times are 1, 2.30, and 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve online at live.crossroadschurch.net. Live.crossroadschurch.net. I'll see you there. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will share what Christmas, just like everything else in life, how it can lose its meaning over time. What may have started as a season of wonder and thanksgiving can quickly become centered around the things to check off your list. You'll be encouraged to let the fact that Jesus, the promised King, came to earth as a baby settle in your hearts and give this season a renewed meaning. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.